So this phenomenal event that we heard about from the book of Acts happened at the time of Pentecost, which was a festival also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. In essence, it was a time when the Jews celebrated the completion of the grain harvest and the disciples were gathered together. The same group of disciples that Jesus had spent three years teaching and training. They'd been through the despair and the joy of Easter. They'd witnessed Jesus's crucifixion and then they'd met with Jesus after his resurrection on numerous occasions. And Jesus had given them a very clear mandate to make disciples of all nations. And then he returned to be with his father in heaven. But one of the last things that Jesus said to the disciples was this. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The disciples knew what they had to do. They'd been given their mission, but nothing could happen until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. When I was in the Royal Marines, shortly before we deployed to Afghanistan, uh, there was a group of about 40 of us uh, waiting in a tented camp in Oman in the desert, Camp Red. And we were literally sat on our bergens, on our rucksacks, for 10 days waiting to go. And the excitement and the tension was building. And those 10 days felt like they lasted forever. And then finally, someone came in the tent and said, wake up, fellas, we're going. And all of a sudden, what must have looked like quite a lethargic group of blokes leapt into action. And here we have the uh, disciples, the church, waiting to start its mission. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and effectively says, wake up, fellas, we're going. But it was a little bit more dramatic than that. God's Spirit filled the whole house. Uh, there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Tongues of fire came to rest on each of the disciples. Jesus had told them to wait until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when it happened, there was absolutely no mistake in it. On the day of Pentecost, the church was brought to life and it began its mission to the world. What a wonderful day for Archie and Leo to be baptized on. So the Holy Spirit shows up, and we remember that when God sends his Holy Spirit, he's sending himself. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that is God coming to live within us. And the day of Pentecost is the first time in history when God's Spirit is poured out on all believers. For the first time, the Holy Spirit is made permanently available to all those who know and love Jesus. And we're going to use Acts 2 as the basis for understanding four things about the Holy Spirit, uh, four things that the Holy Spirit does. Of course, there's a lot more that the Holy Spirit does than just four things, but we're going to focus on these four things. So the Holy Spirit animates the church. He equips the church. He brings to repentance and he transforms the church. He animates, he equips, he brings to repentance, he transforms. So firstly, the Holy Spirit animates the church. Imagine this rather subdued and bored group of disciples waiting and waiting. If they'd had clocks back then, you'd definitely be able to hear one ticking. 
And then, like a firework that's been lit, uh, they suddenly burst into life. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. He brings life to the church, the people of God. Acts tells us about the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Well, the word that is used for wind is ruach. And it's the same word we see in the book of Genesis when we hear about God breathing life into a lifeless human form. As we say in the Nicene Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And if we want to experience life in all its fullness, the kind of life that Jesus offers, eternal life, then as individuals and as a church, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and this marked the beginning of his, mission, uh, his uh, ministry. Likewise, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit uh, fell on the disciples, on the church, and this kick-started their mission and ministry to the world. The Holy Spirit animates the church. He brings the church to life. And on the day of Pentecost, we begin to see the universality of the church. In other words, the Holy Spirit is available to anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. We see it from verse 4. The disciples begin speaking in all kinds of languages. And so the Jews who were in Jerusalem from all over the world were hearing the disciples praising God in their own languages. It's hardly surprising they were amazed by this. They say, how come these Galileans are praising God in our own languages? Actually, Galileans had a very distinctive accent and a reputation for being a bit backward. Uh, So the Jews from all over the world were thinking, who taught these country bumpkins to speak our languages? They can't understand it. But right here, what we see at the beginning of the life of the church is a sign and a symbol that the Holy Spirit will unite people from all over the world. The church is described as the body of Christ. Well, this body is to be made up of as diverse a group of people as it's possible to imagine. And that is still the case with the church today. It's unfortunate that within the church, uh, we often divide ourselves into lots of little groups. When I say the church, I don't mean this church. I mean the church in general, the worldwide church. Uh, I was so encouraged three weeks ago. Uh, when the hub, the home group that meets at our home, came together for the first time. And in a group of 10 people, we realized that there were seven different nationalities represented and at least six different uh, church denominations, Christian backgrounds, everything from Pentecostal to Catholic. That is a picture of what the church should look like. The body of Christ, people from all nations, backgrounds and walks of life brought together and brought to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing we see from the passage is that the Holy Spirit equips the church. The Holy Spirit brings what can only be described as supernatural gifts, as well as developing and honing what we might consider to be more natural gifts. So the first thing, and we've mentioned it already, is that the disciples began to speak in languages that they hadn't learned. And there are some in the crowd who simply dismiss this phenomenon. They say, ah, they're drunk. They've had too much wine. And the same thing happens today. If someone doesn't want to believe, they can always find a natural explanation for a supernatural occurrence. You know, when someone comes to faith and over a period of time, their life and their character is transformed. 
If we don't want to put that down to the power of the Holy Spirit, we could easily come up uh, with uh, various natural explanations for this. But if the people themselves are saying, well, actually, the change that's come about has happened because of the Holy Spirit, well, surely, at some point, we need to start taking that seriously. When Peter addresses the crowd, uh, he says, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And he goes on to quote the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So already in this passage, we've seen speaking in uh, other languages, prophecy, vision, dreams. In other words, God will supernaturally reveal what he is doing in the world so that we, the church, are able to join in. We'll look more at spiritual gifts on another occasion, but for now, it's sufficient to understand that through the Holy Spirit, God equips and resources, uh, well, equips and resources us, the church, for the mission to which we've been called. During the Second World War, the British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, famously said to the Americans, give us the tools and we will finish the job. Sometimes it's hard to realize or understand that there is a war going on, a spiritual war. This morning we've heard the parents and godparents of uh, Archie and Leo uh, affirming that they renounce evil. Well, Christian, as Christians, we don't just renounce evil, but we actively fight against it. And the way we fight against evil is by building God's kingdom here and now. And we all have a role to play in that. A lot of Christians don't ask for the tools because they don't realize that there's a job to do. If you're here today and you profess to be a Christian, then there is absolutely no doubt that you have a role to play in making disciples and building God's kingdom here and now. The Holy Spirit gives us the tools so that we can get on with the job. Next thing, the Holy Spirit brings us to repentance. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter explained to the crowd what was happening, this is how they responded. Verses 37 to 38 says this. When the people heard this, i.e. what Peter was saying, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too will receive the Holy Spirit. The passage goes on to say that 3,000 people did just that. They repented and they were baptized. But what does it mean to say they repented? Well, imagine you're driving from Brisbane to Cairns and you keep seeing signs telling you how far it is to Sydney and the distance is coming down. And eventually you work out that you're going the wrong way. What do you do? You do a U-turn and you start going back the other way. And that's what it means to repent, is when we realize that we are heading away from God and we make a conscious decision to turn around and head back towards God. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It's like we suddenly see all the stuff inside of us that we normally try to hide even from ourselves. And it dawns on us, this isn't 
how I want to be. This isn't God's best for me. I need to change. I need to start doing things God's way. And we start off on that track. That is repentance. And baptism is an outward sign and symbol of repentance. Archie and Leo are being baptized today. And you might say, well, uh, they haven't repented. How can they at their age? Uh, but if we go back to the, you know, thinking about that journey from Brisbane to Cairns, it's like Archie and Leo are in the car with their parents. Uh, their parents have done the U-turn. They're going uh, back towards Cairns. Archie and Leo are in the car. They're going to be going in the same direction as their parents. Of course, when they reach a certain age and level of understanding, they can decide to get out the car and go back the other way. Or they can decide to stay uh, traveling in the direction that they've started with their parents. And we are praying with faith for the latter. And it's the role of the whole church to keep them on track. And that is why it's so important that they do actually grow up in the church. The Holy Spirit uh, brings us to repentance, of which baptism is an outward and visible sign. Finally, the Holy Spirit transforms our life. Allow me to read you the last part of Acts chapter 2. This is what happened to the 3,000 people who became Christians on the day of Pentecost. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the mighty wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's not just that the Holy Spirit transforms our individual lives, although he does do that. I know so many people whose lives have been positively changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone from a career criminal, a guy called Mike Emmett, who was caught bringing four and a half tons of cannabis into the UK, and he went to prison, he came to faith in prison, completely different person now. Uh, Everyone from him to a young mum who habitually lost her temper with her children, and everything in between. And we don't need uh, to have an off-the-scale dysfunctional life to need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. I think if you speak to people uh, who, who know and love Jesus, they will be able to tell you of so many people, including themselves probably, whose lives have been positively impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings transformation to our individual lives. But more important than that, it brings transformation to our life together. The Holy Spirit creates a community unlike any other. As Christians, we are called to live radically different lives together. It's really exciting, and actually now it's really countercultural. You know, I think for a lot of us, we can identify, you know, maybe we drive to work, we drive home, we click a button on uh, our key fob, the garage door opens, we go up into our house, we batten down the hatches until the next day where we do it all again. So many people in our culture don't really know anyone 
don't really love anyone outside of their immediate family. But that's not the kind of life that we've been made for. It's, it's artificial, it's impoverished. The Holy Spirit moves us away from that and into a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others, to a right relationship with others in the church, a right relationship with others in the community, with our neighbours, with our family, restores broken relationships, give us that desire to reach out to people and love them, not just looking at, at, at our own lives and our own concerns, but genuinely loving other people. That is the change that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. A group of people who wouldn't normally interact very much at all, I think back to the hub, the home group that met in our home. People who would never normally come together for any other reason, who live as a loving, mutually supportive community, a community that has a positive impact on the world. And that gives us a glimpse of what God's kingdom will be like when it comes at the end of time, when it's fully established. So today, remember the day of Pentecost, when God's Spirit was poured out on all believers for the first time. We see that the Holy Spirit animates, equips, brings us to repentance, and transforms our life together. God's Spirit incorporates all people, regardless of race, background, or um, social status, incorporates us all into one body, a body that is to enact God's will in the world, a body that is to build his kingdom and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the body into which Archie and Leo are being baptized today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your spirit is available to all those who would call on your name that you make your spirit available to all of us who would recognize that we are going in the wrong direction and want to turn round and move closer to you, ever closer to you. We pray, Father, that you will help us as individuals and as a church to move closer to you, to be focused on you, to give you our whole lives, to enable you, to allow you to work through us in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.